Welcome, welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I live in Chicago. I'm the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, which is uh, about four four miles away from uh, where I live. So it's a brief commute. And I am uh, honored to give you the message today on Transfiguration Sunday, February 11th, 2024. The message, as you may have seen from the top of the listing for this, is a mountaintop memos, mountaintop models. Actually, it's mountaintop memo and mountaintop models. And uh, last Sunday, if you happen to listen to February 4th, it was a briefer message, and it was a more basic message. This one is a little bit, uh, a little bit more substantial, and it's a full-length sermon. So, um, as Hawk Harrelson might say, "Strap it on." <laughs> but uh, and hopefully, this might be a little more uh, entertaining to be with than some of those White Sox games of previous years that they, when they have not been entertaining to watch speaking as a Cubs and a Twins fan. So, um, I, this one was uh, a bit of a challenge because Transfiguration Sunday always is a challenge to write. Uh, It's all about Jesus. How do you apply that to us? But I did, I was given a way uh, to answer that question. And that's what the sermon is about. You know, what, what do we have, what do you and I have to receive from this in addition to what it tells us about Jesus. And, you know, this is not an exhaustive message. There are several more things that could be said about about Jesus and its application for you and me as disciples beyond what I'm offering today. So this was not as hard to write as some of my past Transfiguration Sunday sermons um, because I just got some different perspectives um, from some resources, from some preaching resources as well as my own thinking. So thank God it is Sunday morning, and wherever you are, and uh, however you may be listening, again, I'm grateful. I bid you welcome, if it's your first time, to the podcast. And our scriptures are going to be read by Barb Todd. She's one of our very experienced lay readers. And the passages are from 2 Corinthians 4, and especially Mark 9, verses 2 through 9. And that's what you're going to hear next after after a few words of introduction from her about the scriptures. So, let me offer up a brief word of prayer, and we'll send you off to the scriptures. Please join me in the spirit if you are able. Amazing, marvelous God, we thank you for the words which we're about to hear from the scripture. We ask your blessing on them and on what we're about to hear as an exposition of your scriptures. We ask that you bless me while I preach and that you bless all who listen as they listen and reflect on what they hear. Because we preach and we listen and tune in for you. So we dedicate this time to you and in your holy name, amen. Amen. And now let's go to those scriptures. Today, 
last Sunday before Lent, his Transfiguration Sunday. As some of the disciples encountered an otherworldly and glorious thing when Jesus was transfigured, so do you and I have such an opportunity as we open the book. For as Elijah, Moses, and Jesus came to us from God, so does the salvation story come to us in holy writ, which we are about to hear. So let us approach these words with joy and anticipation as God's words and our world connect. Let us pray. Transport us, O God, to the mountaintop with you. Let us leave behind in the valley anything that would keep us from hearing what you have to say to us. Blind us with the dazzling truth of your good news once again. Let the gospel address us as if for the first time through the power of the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first reading this morning is our epistle. It is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, and then 5 and 6. Paul is talking about his preaching ministry. Paul writes, Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This ends the reading of the Epistle lesson. Our second and final reading is from the Gospel. This morning it is Mark 9, verses 2 through 9. Mark's version of the Transfiguration. The first words you will hear are six days later. In the passage immediately before ours, Jesus had told his listeners that he would be killed and after three days rise again. He also said that anyone who wanted to become his followers had to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. So, it is now six days after that prediction of his passion and that teaching on discipleship. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. 
Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Here is the Gospel reading and the Scripture readings for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, the Word of God for the people of God. Getting the memo. Reading the memo. Maybe it's on paper. Maybe it's by email. It makes no difference. No one wants to be the person who did not get the memo. It may not have good news, this memo, but if you've not received it, if one did not come to you and no one forwards it to you, you could have a problem. Someone cut you out of the loop of knowledge, and that's rarely a good thing when you're asked, did you get the memo? Well, sometimes the memo is not via email or paper. Sometimes in different kinds of circumstances, it can be acted out or otherwise presented in person. That's what happened to the disciples of Jesus at the Transfiguration. They got the memo on the mountaintop. Mountaintops are often understood as places of communication directly with God, and this one's the same if you add two other characters. What holy memo do you think mountaintop Jesus meant the inner circle of followers to get? Memos, as you know, are often in response to something going on or are letting you know something's going on. Maybe there's a staff shakeup. Maybe it's just confirming the new configuration everyone was introduced to in yesterday's conference room or webinar. It could be a reminder, it could be a correction of a possible previous misunderstanding. You get the idea. Memos also often have then a context in which to get the full message, to understand it. And this mountaintop memo is no different. The context. Our gospel passage starts with the words, six days later. There's the, background, the dis- there's the background, the disciples, and we need to know. As Barb said, by way of introduction to the gospel, she said, and I quote, in the passage immediately before ours, Jesus had told his listeners that he would be killed and after three days rise again. He also said that any who wanted to become his followers had to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. So the passage immediately before ours, that's in Mark chapter 8. There, Jesus asked the disciples, whom did others say Jesus was? And then who did they say he was? And Simon Peter made his famous confession, you are the Christ, or you are the Messiah. Bingo. Then he began to predict, then he began to predict his future suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection, which Peter found totally revolting. Get thee behind me, Jesus said. And then he laid out the likely cost of following him and the enduring value of doing just that. There's the context. 
for our mountaintop memo. These conversations six days prior and those words six days later are deliberately there to connect us to what came before. But now then, what do you think the memo wants to communicate to the disciples of Christ? Then and today. Well, thanks to Professor Dennis Nynum, there are two things in that memo. Let us remember that through Simon Peter, the disciples declared Jesus as Messiah. But then, and I quote, in return have received teaching about the way this Son of Man, Messiah, is to accomplish his work, so unexpected as to cause bewilderment and grave doubts in their minds. Those are the two things the memo addresses. It just doesn't call attention to them being the two things. So first, the memo confirms the truth Peter claimed about Jesus. For Jesus appeared on the mountaintop in a glory which can only be messianic. The disciples were terrified at this divine revelation. Jesus, the Son of Man, was the Son of God, the anointed Christ, the one whom the voice from heaven said, this is my Son, the Beloved. The memo, the glorification, the transfiguration confirms that. Secondly, Jesus' teaching six days ago that he must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again, he said all this quite openly. That's shown to be fully in accordance with the will of God. And how do they get this part of the mountaintop memo? Nineham tells us, quote, by a voice from God himself, which designates Jesus as the one whose teaching God wants all to accept, end quote. And you recall that part, and I just referred to it. When the voice said, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. So this mountaintop memo teaches us about Jesus the Christ. In faith, we get the memo too. Jesus is the Messiah. And this passion route is the way the Father and Son have agreed to go upon since eternity, one verse of Scripture could tell us. Transfiguration Sunday, first and foremost, is about Jesus, who he is, and what that means to you and me as followers or disciples, disciples of this one. Yes, he's the Messiah. Yes, the words about suffering and dying and rising again are to be listened to. That's the way of this Messiahship. That's the mountaintop memo from Jesus. But Paul comes in for us here. If we remember in 2 Corinthians that Barb read, he referred to other preachers and teachers who practiced cunning or falsified God's word, which he and his crew never did, he claims. In the verses we did not hear, my bad choice to exclude them, Paul talks about people who do not receive the word, being blinded by the God of this world, not seeing the light of Christ. And he contrasts Jesus to the unholy forces in the world which do the blinding, and he contrasts disciples to those blinded, following the self-centered values of the world. We are not to be blinded. Now stay with me here if I'm starting to lose you, bringing up Paul. A preaching resource brings it together for us. It, this, the, the writer says, Yet the Apostle Paul alludes to something else 
The God of this world is that spirit which prevents us from seeing that true glory and greatness lie not in the power at the top in our world, but in a certain weakness, quote-unquote weakness, at the bottom. They can be measured not by the numbers of people over whom we are Lord, but by the number of people whom we serve. They can be found not in the accumulation of things which bring us pleasure, but in the distribution of things that, meet the, that provide for others. And this was the glory of Jesus Christ. Do we want to see and share in the glory of the Lord? We will when our eyes are open to see that the Lord's glory was in serving others, loving others, and in a final act of voluntary self-denial, dying for others. No platitudes here. You want to share in the glory of Jesus, this writer said, then become like him, a servant of others. End quote. Now, this mountaintop memo from Jesus does not invite or ask the disciples to share in his transfiguration glory. I do not believe we can because that's unique to Christ and to the Godhead. The passage does not even say that Moses and Elijah were in such dazzling clothes. I kind of get the sense of them being more like a hologram. But Jesus did and does call us to follow him, to learn from him, and carry out his message in how we do live and how we do not, what we do or do not say and when that we are not to seek glory like Christ's in the transfiguration, which we cannot anyway. But that does not mean, however, we are not given a model or models to emulate. The first model, of course, being Jesus, the servant of the world, if we focus on Calvary. A servant is our model. A servant whose motive is love. A servant who taught and teaches still. A servant who was in charge of the disciples and also a master of unclean spirits. A servant who came with tough teaching like the Sermon on the Mount, yet who preached and modeled forgiveness, mercy, and bold courage confronting the hypocrisies of his own religious leaders. A servant who would ultimately be king, the ideal king of Psalm 72, where compassion for the victims of tragedy and injustice, that's the rule. And the vulnerable are protected while the unjust are declawed. A servant who washed the disciples' feet, including those of Judas Iscariot, and commanded us to love one another as he loves us. A servant who finds strength in God. That's not the transfiguration kind of glory because we can't, eat, we can't emulate that anyway. It's for, for Christ. But there's another kind of glory which that writer in the preaching resource pointed us to, the glory of being a servant like he was. That's one of the models from the mountaintop, the second half of the sermon title. A seminary professor named Raj Nadella pointed out that there are two other models on the mountaintop, Moses and Elijah. He reminds us in his Bible study in the current issue of Sojourner's Magazine that these two, quote, offered a new model of leadership in the Hebrew tradition by standing up to the powers of their time. Moses stood up to Pharaoh, 
and Elijah to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, submitted for your, not necessarily for your approval, Rod Serling, but for your consideration. The rest of what Dr. Dedala had to say about this mountaintop model's perspective. In that sojourner's piece, he continued, the Greek word metamorphuo, metamorphosis, change, that's the Greek word for he was transfigured before them. The Greek word metamorphuo refers to a change in physical form, but also connotes spiritual transformation. The disciples had clear ideas about what Jesus should do in his ministry and how he should deploy his power, Mark chapter 8. And Jesus had just chided them for their misplaced priorities. By having Jesus alongside Elijah and Moses, Mark offers a flashback, Nadella said, to the two prophets and their ministry of challenging the powers of their time on behalf of oppressed peoples. The voice coming from the cloud presents Jesus as someone who continues that legacy and invites disciples to follow his lead. It was a moment of <clears throat> Christological clarity for the disciples. The transfiguration story focuses on Jesus, but it also challenges the disciples, he says, to be transformed. Their vision of the world needs to change through their encounter with Elijah Moses and the memory of the prophets who willingly paid a great price to carry out God's work, even as others accommodated to the powers. By extension, Mark reminds us of the models we are to follow so we can envision a more prophetic engagement with empires in our own time. End quote. Such prophets are also servants moved by love for their people. Jeremiah was nicknamed the weeping prophet due to his continual lament about the judgment that is going to fall on his people if they don't repent and turn back from their ways. And there's a verse that where Je Jeremiah, referring to himself, says, his eyes are a fountain of tears that does not stop over the state of his people who did not listen to his calls for righteousness and faithfulness to Yahweh the weeping prophet. And he also clashed with Judah's kings. We know Jesus wept over Jerusalem for not listening to his words which would have led them to God's peace. Prophets can be models for you and me too. Listening to the Son of God as commanded by the voice to follow Christ, Jesus, is to follow the servant king and be a servant. Such servanthood can lead us to speak truth to power out of love for God's vision and for the people affected by those in power. Other forms of servanthood end up supporting and assisting such servant prophets in behind-the-scenes ways. Some servants serve God and the people with other gifts by teaching, praying, singing, and I could go on. This is Black History Month. And coming right after January, when we mark the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr., it would be easy to go to his words to illustrate the testimony of a Christian prophet who loved God and loved the United States. But there are others. In 2014, Dr. Cornell West wrote a book called A Black Prophetic Fire. In that book, Dr. West tries to look unblinkingly at the power of what he calls black prophetic fire. 
Six African-American leaders whom he believes have enlivened America even as their messages have been blunted, ignored, or almost worse, he says, deodorized. The leaders West lifts up are Frederick Douglass, W.E.B. Du Bois, or Du Bois, Martin Luther King Jr., Ella Baker, Malcolm X, and Ida B. Wells. He told NPR's Scott Simon that there are leaders and then there are prophets. He said in that interview, a leader is somebody who has to jump in the middle of the fray and be prudential, we hope, rather than opportunistic. But a prophetic person tells the truth, exposes lies, bears witness, and then, usually, is pushed to the margins or shot dead. Of someone we in Chicago do know something about, Ida B. Wells, he said, she looked American terrorism in the face. She looked lynching in the face. She was run out of Tennessee, bounty on her head, and then went to England. She was willing to speak truth at the cost of life. And you see, Du Bois at the time, Booker T. Washington at the time, did not want to speak as candidly and ended up not speaking as courageously as Ida B. Wells Barnett. That's why I conclude in many ways she is the most courageous in the sense of looking that terror in the face and being willing to be crushed by it." End quote. The Transfiguration is about Jesus, for sure. He gave his followers a mountaintop memo that said, yes, he was the Messiah, Son of God, and yes, the way of suffering, death, and resurrection were the God-designed plan. Listen to him. Beyond that memo, we have the mountaintop models. We have another glory with Jesus modeled, servanthood for the good of others, out of love. Also out of love, we are given the models of Elijah and Moses and recalled that honoring and sometimes being prophets are included in our path of following Jesus. Amen. Amen. And that brings this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast to a conclusion. I really don't have any uh, after-preaching feelings or thoughts to share after having preached it earlier today. This is Sunday afternoon where I am in Chicago. And um, you know, if I did, I would uh, share them with you. That's part of what the outro is about, I think. But uh, I'm feeling a little um, responseless. You know, I, I enjoyed writing the sermon, though it was they're always a challenge. This one came a little bit easier than some, and I may have even said that in the intro, which is how scrambling for something to say <laughs> during the outro. But, you know, they can't all be the same, and isn't that what's great about, uh, about podcasts? They're not always the same, all not always predictable. Uh, but I, what is predictable is that I appreciate you tuning in. I thank you for listening. I wish that God will bless you and that God will bless your week. And I wish that you will join us for next week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast. See you then. Be well. Like what you've heard? 
Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.